Yes, sir. It's your girl, Raya X, and I got some topics for y'all today. And the first topic I would like to introduce is, can our brains help prove the universe is conscious? So I had picked up an article. It was on space.com, in case you guys want to check it out. So here it goes. It says, as humans, we know we are conscious because we experience and feel things. Yet scientists and great thinkers are unable to explain what consciousness is, and they are equally baffled about where it comes from. Consciousness or better conscious experience is obviously a part of reality, said Johannes Kleiner, a mathematician and theoretical physicist at the Munich Center for Mathematical, Mathematical Philosophy in Germany. We're all having it, but without understanding how it relates to the known physics, our understanding of the universe is incomplete. With that in mind, Cleaner is hoping math will enable him to precisely define consciousness. Working with colleague Sean Tull, a mathematician at the University of Oxford, UK. The pair are being driven to some degree by a philosophical point of view called panism. It says, this claims consciousness is inherent in even the tiniest pieces of matter. An idea that suggests the fundamental building blocks of reality have consciousness experience. Crucially, it implies consciousness could be found throughout the universe. Okay, so it says, can quantum mechanics mechanics also help us to figure out the cosmos if the researchers can answer how our brains give to rise to subjective experience there's a chance their mathematical model could extend to in in animate matter too they said a mathematical theory can be applied to many different systems not just brains cleaner told all about space via email if you develop a mathematical model of consciousness based on the data obtained from brains you can apply the model to other systems for example computers or thermostats to see what it says about their conscious experience too some prominent minds lend weight to the view of panthicism, not least re-owned Oxford physicist Sir Roger Penrose. We go beyond neuroscience when looking at consciousness. He says we should strongly consider the role of quantum mechanics. In his book published in 1989, The Emperor's New Mind Concerning Computers, Minds, and the Laws of Physics, he argued that human consciousness is non-algorithmic and a product of quantum effects. It says, this idea evolved in collaboration with the an... Okay. Anistologist, I I tried to pronounce that, and psychologist Stuart Haroth into a hypothesis called orchestrated objective reduction. It claims consciousness is likely due to quantum vibrations and microtubules deep within brain neurons as opposed to conventionally held view that it is due to connections between neurons. Importantly, however, ORC-OR suggests that there is a connection between the brain's biomolecular processes and the basic structure of the universe. According to a statement published in the March 2014 paper, Consciousness in the Universe, a review of the ORC-OR theory written by Penrose and Hameroff in the journal Physics of Life Reviews. And it's on the basis that Cleaner and Tull are working. They are also inspired by neuroscientist and psychiatrist Giulio Tononi, distinguished chair in consciousness studies at the University of Wisconsin. So it says Tononi's theory of integrated information theory, published in the journal of BMC Neuroscience, is one of the small class of promising models of consciousness. IIT is a very mathematical theory, Cleaner said. IIT says consciousness is a fundamental aspect of reality, that it exists and is structured, specific, unified, and definite. A core idea suggests consciousness will emerge when information moves between the subsystems of an overall system. To be conscious, an entity has to be single and integrated and must possess a property called phi, which is dependent on the interdependence of the subsystems. In other words, you can 
have a bunch of coins on your desk and on top each sits a bunch of neurons. If information which travels along those pathways are crucial for those coins, then you've got a high phi and therefore consciousness. If those coins could operate perfectly well as subsystems without information flowing to and from other coins, then there is no phi and there is no consciousness. The greater the interdependency between subsystems, the more conscious something will be. Integrated information is an abstract quantity with you can calculate if you have a good detailed description of the system, Cleaner said. Adding the system does not have to be biological. The result is a number denoted by phi. So if you have an apple and you ask how much integrated information is in there, just as you can ask how much energy is in there. You can talk about how much integrated information is in a computer just like you can talk about anthropy. So it says IIT backs panthesism to a great extent because even a proton can possess phi, according to the theory, and just an Apple thermostat and computer can possess it. So can your chair and your desk in all manner other things across the universe. When it comes to experimental evidence, there are several independent studies which point at the correlation between integrated information and consciousness, Cleeter said. So do the subsystems have consciousness experience? No. Are all systems consciousness? No. The theory consists of a very complicated algorithm that when applied to a detailed mathematical description of a physical system provides information about whether the system is conscious or not and what it is conscious of, said Cleaner. The mathematics is such is such that if something is conscious according to the theory, then the components which make up the system can't have conscious experience on their own. Only the whole has conscious experience, not the parts. Applied to your brain, it means that some of your cortex might be conscious, but the particles that make up the cortex are not themselves conscious. So, a universe with its own reality. If there is an isolated part of particles floating around somewhere in space, they will have some rudimentary form of consciousness if they interact in the correct way. So according to IIT, the universe is indeed full of consciousness, but does it have implications for the physical part of the universe? The math of the theory says it does not. A physical system will operate independently whether it has a conscious experience or not. Cleaner gives a computer as an example saying that the IIT's math shows it may have consciousness, but that it won't change the way in which it operates. That is at the odds with the metaphysical underpinning, underpinning of the theory, which is strongly idealist in nature. It puts consciousness first and the physical second. We might not see some changes in the mathematics at some point to take this underpinning more properly into the account. This is what his and Toll's study seeks to resolve. Emergentist theories of consciousness tend to claim physics in all there is. Wow, that was interesting. But I also got some more for y'all, so stay tuned. All right, this is for all you tobacco smokers. So it says the FDA poised to ban menthol cigarettes this week. Hmm. Y'all don't need to be smoking cigarettes anyway. So it says this action would not remove menthol tobacco from the stores immediately, but rather kick off the rulemaking process to do so, which could take several years. So it says the Food and Drug Administration appears likely to move to ban menthol in cigarettes this week. Oh, so not tobacco products, just the menthol. So it says, a step expert says that has been years in the making that could have a significant positive impact on the health of black Americans. The FDA's decision would not ban menthol immediately, but rather kick off the rulemaking process to do so, which could take years. This wines are definitely in our favor, said Del Monte Jefferson, executive director of the Center for Black Health and Equity. Citing both the decades of data that show that the cooling flavor in cigarettes makes it easier to start smoking combined with the current cultural momentum toward improving the lives of black Americans. Okay, so it says when inhaled, menthol produces a cooling sensation in the throat, 
reducing the harsh taste of cigarettes and the irritation of nicotine. The vast majority of black smokers, 85%, use menthol cigarettes. And black men and women are much less likely than white Americans to be diagnosed with lung cancer at an earlier, potentially more treatable stage. Black men have the highest lung cancer death rate in the country. When you combine high rates of smoking with the systematic racism in healthcare systems, you have a tremendous health disparity, said Erica Sward, National Assistant Vice President for Ad Advocacy at the American Lung Association. Both the Centers for the Disease Control and Prevention and the National Institutes of Health recently announced plans to address structural racism in healthcare. So it says the FDA faces a Thursday court-ordered deadline to respond to a citizen petition sent to the agency in 2013, urging it to ban menthol as a flavor in cigarettes. When the FDA failed to act at the time, two groups, the African American Tobacco Control Leadership Council and Action on Smoking and Health, sued. It's possible a decision could come earlier than Thursday, and because the lawsuit only mentions regular cigarettes, it's unclear whether electronic cigarettes and other tobacco products that contain menthol would be affected. The FDA was poised to ban menthol flavoring in 2018 under the leadership of then-Commissioner Dr. Scott Goldlieb, I believe that's how you pronounce it, but failed to follow through. Goldlieb did not respond to a request for comment. Some advocates of the menthol ban say a national focus on the Black Lives Matter movement may spur the agency to take action now. COVID-19 and the racial awakening we had last summer exposed the inequities of our system. Jefferson said menthol is just another example of the health inequities that have plagued African Americans for generations to come. Personally, I am more optimistic about the FDA doing the right thing on menthol than I have been in a decade, Sword said. Others are less confident that the FDA will act, including Pebbles Fagan, the director of Center for the Study of Tobacco at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. It is possible that the agency could delay a response by asking the court for more time, even if a decision to start banning process does come this week. It says... Fagan said that he was skeptical to move would be prompted by the social issues that surfaced in 2020. It took a lawsuit for FDA to pay attention to this issue. If the FDA does decide to move forward with a ban, menthol will not disappear overnight. It says, to do, 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 do. in essence, such as announcement would simply be a way to tell the public as well as the tobacco industry that the agency intends to ban the flavoring in cigarettes. Ooh, we. So it says the rulemaking process would likely take several years to finalize and implement that would provide time to boost smoking cess uh, cessation programs targeting menthol smokers. Every smoker who uses menthol cigarettes needs to help to quit, Sword said. There is evidence that such a ban could pay public health dividends. A study published in the journal Tobacco Control this month examined how menthol cigarette bans enacted in Canada in 2016 to 2017 affected smokers. While nearly 60% surveyed menthol smokers switched to regular cigarettes, those who used menthol before the ban were significantly more likely to make multiple attempts to stop smoking. More than 20% were able to quit. There are also evidence of reduced relapses among former smokers. The enormous success of the Canadian menthol ban makes it even more clearer that the U.S. should finally ban menthol. Menthol. Study author Jeffrey Fong said in an April 6 news release announcing the research, from our findings we estimate that the banning menthol cigarettes in the U.S. would lead to an additional 923,000 smokers to quit, including 230,000 African-American smokers. Fong, a professor of psychology and public health and health systems at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, said... Other vulnerable groups might also benefit. The LGBT communities also have higher rates of menthol tobacco use, as do adolescents. 
Literally half of the kids who smoke use menthol, said Matthew Myers, president of the campaign for tobacco-free kids. We would dramatically cut the numbers of kids of who ever become tobacco users if they didn't have menthol as a pathway. Prohibiting the manufacture and sale of menthol cigarettes, Myers said, would have the greatest impact on the public health that the government has ever taken. Honestly, I don't really have much to say about... Okay, cigarettes is something totally different to me than vape because this right here has a certain amount of percentage of nicotine that you are pulling into. So I don't really think these are bad because unless you are consistently non-stop taking drags and drags like this, like a complete crazy person, but other than that, you, you just should have a limit. But at the same time, I do understand that the, the menthol is kind of like the minty flavor and it kind of like reels in people to continue to smoke cigarettes. But a lot of people that I see smoke cigarettes, a lot of them don't really have menthol depending on what brand of cigarettes you're buying. But I do not support the cigarettes in general. They do kill people, but, and they do cause cancer. But a lot of the things that we eat and a lot of the things <laughs> that we use have cancer in it. So I, I really don't understand why they're targeting so much of uh, cigarettes as far as the food that that they sell to us at the store that causes cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, it, it's just redundant to try to stop selling tobacco products. People are going to still try to get it anyway. But it is what it is. But stay tuned for our next topic. Yes, 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 yes. If you guys watched my last episode, I did a review on the new Mortal Kombat movie. And guess what I have for y'all? Mortal Kombat, Cole Young's True Identity Explained. So it says in the 2021 Mortal Kombat movie introduces a new fighter. I did mention this. I did mention this to y'all on my last episode if you guys tuned in. So Cole Young to the pantheon of Earth Realms champions. But what makes him so important? Shit, I don't know. Let's find out. So it says, um, for, wait, before I even get started i just want to let you guys know that if you have not watched the movie and you really 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 want to watch the movie you might want to cover your ears for this one because there's some spoilers in here i'm just letting you know that so it says the world of mortal kombat is full of variety of interesting characters yet the 2021 film added adaptation is largely centered around a new champion of earth realm a common cage fighter named cole young and um in parentheses it says lewis tan this left many followers of the franchise wondering what makes cole so special in building up the film's release well let's see a number of interesting theories were suggested by the fans who couldn't believe that the filmmakers would center the story of the Mortal Kombat movie around an untested new character. I agree. <laughs> it says one of the more popular theories was that Cole Young would prove to be the real name of action movie Soupy I said superstar, <laughs> superstar Johnny Cage in the reality of the film. It was also suggested that Cole Young might be the true identity of either Sub Zero, excuse me, Sub Zero or Scorpion. Okay, so it says all of these theories were disproven, and Cole Young was revealed to be simply Cole Young after all. Unfortunately, that's the truth, guys. He was just some made-up-ass character. But to continue on with it, it says, However, the movie did reveal that Cole Young did have a connection to one of the most popular fighters in the Mortal Kombat universe. Paying off a scene that was teased in the film's trailer, it remains to be seen if Cole Young will be introduced in the reality of video games. But it can be stated that he proves his worthiness to stand among Earth's greatest champions over the course of Mortal Kombat. So it says, Cole Young is the chosen one. 
Earth Realms champion. Stop, 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 stop. We got to stop right there. Now, you guys know if you are a straight Mortal Kombat fan, you already know who the Earth Realm champion actually is. It's Liu Kang. So, out of all... All the Mortal Kombat's from the first one all the way down, not to the new one, but to the very last movie that came out. Liu Kang was always Earth Realm's champion. So with that being said, they changed it in the new movie with Cole Young, which I'm not I'm not really understanding that because there wasn't even a tournament. But let's get on to see what they're gonna tell me now. So it says, one question that the game's mythology never answered was just how champions were chosen to compete in the Mortal Kombat tournament. Invitations were presumably sent to the leaders of various orders and clans with instructions on where to send their best warriors. But the rules of the first tournament also allowed the entry of warriors like Sonya Blade, who stumbled across the tournament by accident while chasing after her nemesis Kano. The 2021 Mortal Kombat addresses that this with the idea of chosen ones and the distinctive dragon mark birthmarks which indicate that they are destined to represent Earthrealm in the next Mortal Kombat tournament. Cole Young is completely ignorant of this as the movie opens thinking that the mark of the chosen ones is an odd birthmark that just happens to resemble a dragon. After Sub-Zero's first attempt to kill Cole and his family, he was rescued by Jax, who has the same dragon mark, tells him to seek out Sonya Blade. It is Sonya who explains the history and purpose of the Mortal Kombat tournaments and sets Cole Young on the path towards his destiny. Scorpion's bloodline thrived after his murder. After arriving at the Temple of Raiden and beginning the training to discover his inner power and develop the unique supernatural abilities that could only be accessed by a champion of Earthrealm, Raiden explained a despondent Cole was not making any progress in his training, just why he was chosen. Yeah, why was he chosen? That didn't make sense to me. But anyway, Raiden spoke of Hanzo Hasashi, a legendary ninja who died over 400 years earlier at the hands of his rival. By hand, who later became the monster Cole Young knew as Sub-Zero. Rather than being a simple orphan from the south side of Chicago, Cole Young was the last scion of Hanzo Hasashi's bloodline which Raiden had taken steps to protect after Hanzo Hasashi's infant daughter. It is not confirmed that Cole Young is the last surviving member of the bloodline, but it is heavily implied by other events. How Cole Young fits with the other champions. One thing that, the Raid that Raiden does not explain to Cole Young is revealed to the audience in a title card following the film's opening sequence um, depicting the death of Hanzo Hasashi and his family. There is an ancient prophecy which foretells a group of champions will be united by the rise of Hanzo Hasashi's blood. It is the prophecy that spurs the forces of Outworld commanded by the sorcerer Shang Tsung to begin hunting down and killing the chosen ones of Earthrealm Earth before the next Mortal Kombat tournament can officially begin within the next month. They do this in spite of Sub-Zero certainty that can be that he completely destroyed Hanzo Hasashi's clan 400 years earlier. And the fact that Outworld seems to have a clear advantage in the Mortal Kombat tournament after 9 straight victories. This raises an interesting point that the film does not go into regarding just how the Elder Gods go about selecting the Chosen Ones and why the Dragon Marks can transfer to unworthy agents who kill a Chosen One. It is suggested that the Defenders of Earthrealm are largely chosen from the bloodlines of famous warriors. Apart from Cole Young, the Chosen Ones of the generation include the Monk Kung Lao, who proudly notes that he is descended of the great Kung Lao, in addition to being the great champion of the Order of Light. 
Yet it is also suggested that the followers of Raiden seek out those who are proven warriors with noble hearts and bring them into the fold once they have proven themselves. This is shown through the story of Liu Kang and how, like Cole Young, he was an orphan. Though he was adopted in the Order of Light and upon graduation sent after a child trafficker who had acquired a dragon mark. What Cole Young's bloodline means for Mortal Kombat's future. Cole's connection to Hanzo Hasashi proved to be the deciding factor in the battle to stop Outworld from gaming the system and killing Earth's champions before the Mortal Kombat tournament could begin in earnest. Before sending the surviving champions off to face the followers of Shang Tsung, Raiden gave Cole the blade of Hanzo Hasashi which had been used against him to take his life. Raiden explained that Hanzo's spirit would fight with him if he used the weapon in the battle to come. When Sub-Zero saw Cole Young seeking to the end bloodline of his rival once and for all, his ancestor to Earthrealm to fight by his side in the new form as Scorpion. The film ended with Shang Tsung swearing that he would return to Earthrealm with armies rather than fighters and an impressed Raiden, nothing that the prophecy had been fulfilled and that they must gather more champions to fill their ranks before the next Mortal Kombat tournament. This seems to be Cole Young's immediate focus at the film's conclusion as he informs his manager that he's done with 200 a night cage fights and he's heading to Hollywood before walking past a poster for a Johnny Cage movie. Beyond acting a recruiter for the defendants of Earthrealm, it seems likely that Cole Young will retain the blade of Hanzo Hasashi, allowing him to call upon his ancestor once again if he is needed. Ooh, wait, 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 wait. They have another, hold on, they have something else I want to read. It says, what Mortal Kombat's final scene means for a spoiler in the sequel. So it says, in the ending of Mortal Kombat, sets up the appearance of Johnny Cage in a potential sequel should Mortal Kombat 2 happen. The 2021 movie reboot of the long-running video game series largely gives fans what they want from a Mortal Kombat movie with plenty of incredible fights, fatalities, violence, gore galore. Indeed, aside from quibbles over the story of certain characterizations, the only major thing missing was known about in advance, Johnny Cage. One of the original Mortal Kombat characters from the 1992 game, he's a fan favorite fighter, cocky movie star, who is conspicuous, but his absence, by his absence here. <clears throat> Mortal Kombat 2021 focuses on Cole Young, Louis Tan, a new creation for the movie, who serves as the audience way into the universe with Cole, an outsider to the Ty Tuller tournament much like cage was in the original mortal kombat movie that's a decision that makes perfect sense because cole his story and most of all his true identity as descendant of scorpion are at the very heart of mortal kombat however that doesn't mean that there's no room whatsoever for cage but rather that what is there is just to tease viewers and what appetites for more the ending of Mortal Kombat 2021 sees Cole Young teaming up with the resurrected Scorpion to take on Sub-Zero with the ice-powered warrior eventually defeated by the way of his great foe's toasty fatality. It's clear though that it isn't really the end of the battle as Shang Tsung appears to promise that he will return next to bringing armies and likely Sub-Zero as noob Cybot. While he's teleported away by Raiden, it's clear setup for another round of Mortal Kombat and one where Earth will need a new set of champions whom Cole is instructed to find following several losses. Exactly who all of those characters will be is unclear, but Mortal Kombat's final scene overtly sets up Johnny Cage to be one of them. It finds Cole packing up his locker, getting out of the fighting business to head to Hollywood. When asked what's in Hollywood, he responds that it is 
that it isn't about what but who as if that wasn't obvious enough the camera then pans to the poster for the movie Citizen Cage Fight for Your Rights starring none other than Johnny Cage the idea of Johnny Cage being a movie star is of course intrinsic in his character so it makes sense to use that as a lead in for his appearance in Mortal Kombat 2 it means that even before the sequel happens Cage is somewhat established as a persona in the universe meaning there needs to be less setup of who his character is and more of the low blows and cockiness fans want to see. The name of the movie itself is also taken from the games with Cage mentioning Citizen Cage as one of the several movies he's appeared in during the 2011 Mortal Kombat reboot. That version of Cage was particularly used as a comedic contrast to his fellow combatants and suggests he'll serve a familiar function in the sequel Mortal Kombat 2021. Is it exactly humorless? Several moments revel in the absurdity of it all. There's a lot of fun, and Kano in particular. Yeah, Kano was funny as fuck, honestly. Um, get some solid gags and comic moments but it's also easy to imagine Cage elevating that further and bringing new dimensions to it since Cole is on a mission to find other champions then it suggests that Johnny Cage has already been chosen and already has his dragon marks too and that's presumably how why Cole knows to search him out in the first place um, Cage's absence from Mortal Kombat is understandable for a few reasons, not least its heavy focus on its Asian characters, but within the need for fresh blood and things more established, as well as the potential for proper Mortal Kombat tournament to come something this movie doesn't actually have. Right. Then Cage's big personality can slot in much more easily. Quite how he'll feel about Cole's plans remain to be unseen, but that's something that will presumably form the opening of Mortal Kombat sequel, should it happen, as well as those two likely butting heads. There's a lot of potential to develop his relationship with Sonya Blade, with whom he has storied history and even a daughter in the games, Cassie Cage. Of course, even with the tease, there are big questions over Cage's future. A sequel hasn't been great lit, but if the movie is a hit, then it'd be a no-brainer with cast and crew expressing interest. The other question is just, who will play Cage in Mortal Kombat 2? Right! It'd be fitting to plump for a big movie star to add a meta touch, but it also needs to be someone well-versed in action movies, fight choreography, that makes someone like Keanu Reeves a particular fun yo honestly before i even finish reading that yes that would be dope if keanu reeves was fucking johnny cage so it says or oh wait they have another option it says or perhaps scott adkins for a more skilled martial artist honestly nah it should be keanu reeves whoever plays him should a mortal kombat sequel happen johnny cage is going to be in it I cannot wait for Johnny Cage to be here. But anyway, stay tuned for our next topic, mother. Kanye, Kanye. Kanye West raises $1 million for DMX's family with sold out Balenciaga t shirt collaboration. Woo woo. Um, it says Kanye West helped give back to DMX family in a big new way through his Yeezy brand. Wes collaborated with fashion brand Balenciaga to create a t-shirt in honor of DMX, who died on April 10th, just days after suffering a heart attack at his home. All of the net proceeds from the $200 shirt will go to the late rapper's family. According to TMZ and Page Six, shirt sales raised $1 million and sold out within 24 hours over the weekend, during which time a public memorial for DMX took place at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. DMX official Instagram account also advertised the t-shirt before it sold out. 
It says Saturday's public memorial for DMX, which was shown to the world via YouTube live stream, featured hundreds of fans gathered outside to celebrate the rapper. Inside the venue, capacity was limited at only 10% for family and close friends due to the pandemic. It says West 43 led his iconic Sunday service choir to kick off the memorial inside the Barclays Center with several songs before DMX's family, including his fiance Desiree Lindstrom, and the late artist's children appeared on the stage with the singing group. It says several stars spoke during the memorial, including Eve, known as the first lady of the Rough Riders. I am seriously the luckiest, luckiest woman in the world to have been adopted by the Rough Riders, but to have known DMX the way that I knew him as a man, a father, a friend. This is so hard, y'all. What I pray, what I hope, I pray to God, I pray to our angels, our ancestors, that his journey was smooth. I know that he will rest in power, rest in love, but most of all, he will rest in peace. Wow, that was very touching. That was a very touching speech by uh, Eve. That was very touching. Let me see if they have a little clip. Um, I believe this is his... Uh, I believe they have a clip of his actual funeral. Yep. If you guys want to take a look at that, it is actually the celebration of DMX. Um, it is about approximately about four hours. If you want to take a look at that and... Um, I honestly, personally, do not want to see him go in a casket or any of that. Like, why would I want to see that? Like, I honestly find that disrespectful to his family. But, I mean, if that was their decision, then that's them. You know what I mean? That's that's not my son. And I respect that. I mean, that's his family. But, honestly, I do like the shirt, y'all. The shirt is fucking nice. Check this out. This This is the shirt, y'all. This shirt is fucking nice. Like, it really is. I have to show it to y'all. Check it out, y'all. That shit right there is nice. That shit is dope as fuck. But, yeah, if you guys want to check that out, uh, just go on the Balenciaga website. I believe it's $200 per shirt. Um, They're available to everybody and who's anybody. Now, stay tuned for the next topic. Honestly, y'all, before I even state the name of this topic I just can't believe why people would do this and try to destroy something so beautiful it's just so messed up but anyway let's get into it since thousands of barrels of DDT poison found dumped off coast of California so it says marine scientists have discovered a toxic waste dumped in the Pacific Ocean of the coast of California that includes more than 25,000 barrels of highly toxic, widely banned pesticide. According to the Guardian researchers from the University of California, San Diego's Scripps Institution of Ocean, Ocean, uh, Ocean, ah, oh God, oceanographic map tens of thousands of acres of oceans between Los Angeles and Catalina Island, more than 20 miles offshore. The area has long been known to have high levels of DDT, but the dump site had never found before. Never been found before. So that means it's been there and it's been lingering for a very long time and they just now found it. That's fucking nuts. It says researchers found that the commercial shipping vessels had used the area to dump chemicals from the 1930s until 1972 when Congress passed the Ocean Dumping, Dumping Act and the Environmental Protection Agency was created. Barrels were found about 3,000 feet below the surface, and the researchers believe there may be other similar dump sites nearby. The dump site being surveyed is believed to have between 320 and 640 tons. We're talking about tons here of DDT. That's wow. Are you fucking serious? 
It says it is unknown what effect the chemical has had on marine life. But previous research has found high levels of DDT in the blubber of whales and dolphins that died of natural causes in sea lions that developed cancer. Decades of research indicates DDT is very harmful to humans. The search for the dumping site began more than a decade ago when researchers from University of California, Santa Barbara, found concentrated levels of DDT in sediment and several dozens of barrels. The UC San Diego researchers hope that the discovery will lead to the cleanup effort or at least more research into the extent of the damage caused by the dump site. Wow. I'm looking at this picture, y'all, and this, y'all need to see this. It's, it's gross. It, all these, all these beautiful sea creatures that are in the ocean are being destroyed. Like, we're destroying their own habitat. How would we like it, right, if they came into our habitat and started fucking shit up? Obviously, we wouldn't like that shit. We, we don't want nobody fucking with what where we live and stuff like that it's like we're taking their life away from them and then on top of that for those of us that eat fish you're contaminating the fish on top of that you know what i mean so like this can cause a lot of deaths and i really don't i just don't understand why would you want to destroy something so beautiful i really don't get that but stay tuned for our next topic. Yo, 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 yo. It says how 16-year-old Jai Beats landed production credits on number one albums from Young Thug and Rod Wave. So it says the producer talked about balancing homework and producing songs like Rod Wave's Tombstone and Young Thug's Real. Despite still being in high school, California-based producer Jai Beats has managed to break into the music industry with production of credits for the likes of Lil Tecca, Fetty Wap, and Kevin Gates. The 16-year-old has had a chart-topping 2021, so far landing three credits on Rod Wave's latest album, Soulfly, including the lead single, Tombstone, as if that wasn't enough. He also recently produced the track Real Off Young Thug and YSL's Slime Language 2. Genius caught up with Jai Beats over the phone to discuss how getting his melodies stolen actually led to his breakthrough, music theory, and balancing homework and producing. This interview has been lightly... Okay, so the interview was by Shy Inc. So it says, one of the first questions they had to ask was, what was your first introduction to music? So this is what he had to reply. I got into music because my dad is a producer. He inspired me at a very young age. I was always in the studio, probably when I was one year one years old, messing on his MPC and drum pads. I eventually picked up on it and started making stuff on my own. I really truly started producing at probably 13. Did you know you always wanted did you know that ah, did you know you always wanted to produce as a career? It says, I think I naturally got into it. I wasn't thinking, wow, this could be a career or anything. Until recently, I was like, I can make money off this and get my beats to artists. I just saw the potential. At age 13, what were your beats sounding like? They were so bad, the beats I was making was like Juice World beats. They were heavily inspired by internet money beats. What were those early stages like? Honestly, I just wanted people to use my beats. I was in middle school and they were being mean about it and saying, no one's going to use beats, you're trash. That inspired me to prove them wrong. I was like, I'm going to work harder at this and try to get my beats to artists. Once I gave myself that mindset, that's when I started to get my beats to artists, got producers to use my loops, got a following on Instagram, Instagram was the way I was connecting with people. I would hit up producers, artists, engineers. They were the ones who could really get my beats and loops to these artists. I am a sophomore right now, and a lot of it is really hard to balance trying to get music done and get my homework done on time. 
What was your first break? It was actually a PMB rock placement. I had a whole thing where someone scanned me out of my melody. I made a post about it and people in the industry were sharing it and I gained a lot of exposure just from getting my loop stolen, which was funny. To be honest, I didn't get paid from it or any heads up that he used the beat or any of that. I woke up one day and saw that the producer blocked me on Instagram on some I'm just going to put this out and not going to let you know. So I put a video out explaining that this is my melody and I had no heads up and I got a lot of exposure from that. That's when I started to get the ball moving with people wanting to work with me more. How did you end up producing on Young Thugs Real? That record happened with my boy YPM Richie. I tapped in with him because he asked me for loops one day and I heard his beats. His beats were very hard. He produced Lil Goddess, No Kizzy. So I sent him vibes like that and put him on my weekly list of loops. I sent him guitar loops, piano loops, and one of those loops one day ended up being the real loop. (laughs) When did you find out you made the album? Not until recently, February 2nd, was when I heard the snippet and I was shook, to be honest. I was like, dang, really, Young Thug used my beat? That was a long-term goal I had. Did you remember much about making the sample? That was one of my first loops on my electric guitar. I got a straighter caster from the Fender and made a couple loops and was practicing it, and that ended up being that loop. What was it like when the record dropped? It was crazy. I didn't even want to sound like a fanboy, but I was jumping, man. I was like, wow, I'm really on this project. I wasn't expecting it. I thought the song wasn't going to make the project, to be honest. You also produced on three songs on Rodway's latest album, Calling, Shock the World, and Lead Single Tombstone. How did that come about? That was through different people. My boy DiCaprio would help me with a lot of things. He say, start posting on YouTube, build your brand and all that. I listened to him and was very inspired by him. Like, he's truly the reason I got into that Rod Wave thing. I kept making melody after melody trying to get my beats to Rod Wave. Eventually, I think in August, I sent loops to 88 and Rod Wave ended up picking a beat with my melody. The Tombstone melody was recorded back in July with the guitar and that was one of my first guitar packs that I sent to 88. How did the other records come about? The other records happened with TNT. I was in some group chat and I saw he was in there. So I was like, this is my time to show off my melodies. I put a melody in the chat and asked the chat, what do you guys think of this? TNT ended up liking it. Me and him locked in. He asked me to sample some song and we made a couple beats. I think the first ever beat we made was Shock the World, which ended up being on Rod Wave's project. Did you end up sampling the song for TNT? It was some song that Rod Wave probably wanted. And to be honest, the song was really hard to sample. I'm sitting here for like an hour or two chopping it like, how can I do this? I ended up going to splice some vocal hook, put some keys over it with Uncle Cameron and played some guitar leads over it and sent it to TNT. Was Calling the last one you did out of the three? Yeah, Calling was the last one we did. The melody I made back on February 12th and three days later got placed with Rod Wave. That's one of the quickest records I produced. After I played Shock the World, TNT was like, I know what Rod Wave likes. He likes the samples. He likes melodic piano and guitars. I was like, this is perfect. I got it down. I want to try to get more on this project. So it says, when making samples, are you using much music theory? Or do you just know that the sound, know the sound you're going after? So, let's see. Uh, The sound you're going after. Recently, I've been learning about music theory. I've been trying to learn my piano scales, and that's definitely helped with making melodies. I don't go into my piano roll and click in. I play everything live, so all my guitars are live played. My pianos are live played. I barely even quantize. Everything I play is just raw. You've produced on consecutive numbers, one albums with Rod Wave and now Young Thug. What does that feel like? Dude, honestly, it's amazing. I never even thought that it was even possible to even happen. Now that it did, how many more times can I do this? I have crazy motivation right now and I have these records that are out. It's definitely giving me a confidence boost. What was it like seeing Tombstone being performed on Jimmy Fallon? 
I was eating breakfast and I checked my phone and I saw a notification from my Gmail and it was something about Jimmy Fallon. I was like, wow. I told my parents and all of that and they were proud and excited for me. I finally got to see it. That was the first time I watched the Jimmy Fallon show. Not going to lie. Being so young, how do you navigate the music industry? Do you have mentors? Honestly, I've gone into the music industry just observing everybody. I didn't really have a mentor. I was just watching what was happening with other people like, okay, if I do this, then this will benefit me. Or if I don't do this, then it'll make things worse for me. Everyone is pretty much my mentor. Anyone who has more success than me, I look up to them and be like, how can I be as good as this person or even better than this person? What's your situation in school and music? I'm I'm 16, so I'm a sophomore right now, and a lot of it is really hard to balance trying to get music done and get my homework done on time. It's a battle. Have you seen a shift with people at school since you got these big records? I've seen a shift with some of the people around me, like how they greet me, how they talk to me. In the back of my head, I just keep thinking, damn, these people really did not support me. Now they're supporting me. I try to keep myself humble, so I don't want to show that size. So I always reply to people with thank you or I appreciate it. I don't like being arrogant. Being so young, where do you see yourself in five years? My goal in the next five years, I'm trying to be a millionaire. I know that's a lot of people's dreams, but I feel like I have the potential to make a million dollars before I'm 18. If I keep on being consistent with the music stuff, to be honest, some of the artists I want to work with are Roddy Rich, Tyga, Sweetie, those people that are making that West Coast stuff. I'm from the West Coast myself, so I love the club sound. Honestly, this boy Jai Beats is fucking amazing. He's only 16 years old. It's amazing. Like, there's like no excuse, guys. If you stay consistent in what you do, you will become better. That was the message that was sent by Jai Beats. He's only 16 years old. And there's a lot of you guys who are older that ain't doing shit with your life. But anyway... It's your girl, Raya X. I hope you guys like the topics that I brought up today. If you have any suggestions, you can email me. I will leave it in the description for you guys so you can email me. You can also DM me on Instagram, Facebook. I have a couple pages that you guys can get on. Um, I believe I have Medusa Rage. You guys can look that up on Facebook. But I will leave it also in the description for you. I also have a LinkedIn page that you guys can check out. I am currently building that up. I just started posting my, my episodes on there. Um, I believe the profile is under Raya X. You can check me out on there as well. Um, as far as other profiles, I will be coming up with n- new ones. But... I love you guys. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. And just remember, always smile and be happy. I love y'all.